Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. Today, we're talking about one of the largest groups of Americans who still can't get COVID vaccines, children. This summer, the pandemic has hit kids harder than it has before, but there are still no vaccines approved for people under 12. And we've got an expert's take on why that is, when the shots might become available, and what parents should know about protecting kids from COVID and other illnesses now that schools are back in session. Before we begin, just a quick reminder to make sure you've subscribed to Health Now wherever you're listening to podcasts. Thanks. Okay, let's get started. In the early days of the pandemic, there appeared to be at least one positive. Children seemed to get COVID-19 less than adults. But this summer, that picture has changed. COVID cases among children are higher than they've ever been. COVID vaccines are available for older children, ages 12 to 17, but vaccine makers are still investigating how well the shots work for younger kids. Meanwhile, as schools are opening for in-person instruction this fall, many parents, teachers, and doctors are anxiously awaiting vaccine approval for kids under 12. Last week, the American Academy of Pediatrics sent a letter to the FDA urging them to accelerate their timeline for that approval. We wanted to bring you the latest on COVID vaccines and the health of our kids. And we have WebMD medical editor, Dr. Neha Pathak here to talk with us about the latest. Welcome back, Dr. Pathak. Hi, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So I know you have three young kids at home. I have a three-year-old at home. I don't know if you're as frustrated as I am about the fact that there's still no vaccine for kids under 12, but I wonder if you can just tell us just what exactly is taking the FDA and vaccine makers so long to open these vaccines up to younger children? Yeah, so I think anxiety is definitely high among parents and teachers as we're sending our kids, like you said, back to school or trying to get back into the swing of work and without the protection of the COVID-19 vaccine for our younger children, at least for another few months. So obviously we want it done, we want it done as soon as possible, but what I keep trying to remind myself is that we really want it done right. So I think that it's important to remember that, you know, leadership at FDA, the Food and Drug Administration at CDC, I think everyone really is trying to act um, with a sense of urgency. Um, So that's something that I just sort of try to remind myself as I try to deal with the frustration. But, you know, what is taking a while is essentially the kids' version of a COVID-19 vaccine. Scientists are really using the data from the adult trials, and they also need to do an additional full pediatric trial. So having the results from the adult research really sped up the process for children as young as 12, like you said. Uh, The companies didn't really have to do a lot more. They didn't have to enroll like the full 30,000 people that they did for the adult trials. But now with the younger children, the companies have been asked to provide more data. So for example, six months of follow-up safety data instead of the two months that they needed for the adults. Um, And the FDA has also asked Pfizer and Moderna to double the number of children in the ages of five to 11 for the clinical trials. So that trial expansion has added at least a month to the research process. What are they looking for by, you know, 
like you said, instead of two months of data, they want six months of data and they want more children enrolled. What exactly are they trying to look for in that research? Yeah, so what they're trying to figure out is essentially children are not mini adults. So what they're really looking to see is they want to ensure that when the vaccine is available and it does have the emergency use authorization that it's at the safest dose and at the most effective dose. So children, as they say in pediatrics, they're not little adults. Um, they have a different physiology. They're smaller. They're at a different stage of development. So they wanna make sure that when the dosing is approved, that it's going to be safe, it's gonna be effective, and that they know the risks within that time period. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, what they're saying is that we should know what we need to know in terms of side effects within the two month window. They're saying we don't really need to wait the full six months before we see what these side effects could be. What is the latest on when the vaccines are expected to be approved for children younger than 12? What are scientists and FDA officials saying right now? So the reports are basically that the companies that are doing these trials will likely be able to file their data. And there's one company right now that's sort of ahead of the pack for five to 11 year olds for authorization. What they're saying is at some point in September. So we're in September right now. So um, we'll see how that goes. And once that's done, they can file for an application for emergency use authorization for the vaccine and potentially as early as October. So within a few weeks of that, we may have vaccines available for children between five and 11. Then they're thinking the data for two to five-year-olds could arrive soon after that. And then for the youngest children that are enrolled, they dip down to about six months. That data could potentially, or they could have enough research by October, or November um, to present to the FDA. So that kind of aligns with what we've been hearing so far about maybe by the end of the year, there could be a, a vaccine available for six months and up. Does that match? Yeah, you know, so I would hope that definitely it sounds like by the end of the year or, you know, later on in the fall, five to 11 year olds, and then it seems like two to five year olds may be able to follow thereafter. I'm not clear yet on what it means for children six months and above. We've seen reports about parents trying to get their children vaccinated against COVID, even if they are younger than 12. You know, you hear about people going to their pediatrician and trying to get this done. What is your advice about that strategy? So it's really interesting. I think that, you know, hundreds of millions of adults have been vaccinated. So we know that right now the dose seems safe and effective for people that are over the age of 12. We don't know yet what the dose and what the timing of the doses will need to be for children younger than that. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, the FDA, the CDC, no one is recommending, no expert is recommending that parents go out and give this currently available dose to younger children on an off-label basis. 
Um, and again, that's because they really still need to look at the data to see what is the unique dose? What is the potential unique timing? You know, we do know that there are have been reports of certain side effects in adolescents um, with uh, some irritation, inflammation around the heart, which luckily has been mild and in general has been resolving pretty quickly. Um, so I think that these are the reasons that we don't want parents to go out and protect their children with the doses that are currently available. Wait to get the official nod from from the FDA, it sounds like. Right. The official nod, but also the official and appropriate dose. Right. That makes sense. At the same time, kind of on, on the other side of that issue, there are parents who are or seem to be a little more hesitant to get these shots for their children whenever they become available. There was a poll from the Kaiser Family Foundation last month that found that four in 10 parents of kids under 12 said they would wait a while to see how the vaccines were working before they got one for their children. Um, And other parents just flatly refused to get the shot for their kids, even for the kids who are at the ages where the vaccine is already approved, uh, you know, ages 12 and up. What would you say to a parent who expressed worry or hesitation about the potential side effects of these vaccines uh, for their young children? Yeah, you know, I think as a parent, I sympathize with all parents out there, and we're really trying to do what's best for our children to keep them safe and healthy. And I think that for the longest time, we have sort of been hearing that, you know, cases have been declining and that children were somewhat spared from the worst you know, effects of COVID-19. But now really what we're seeing with the new variant, the Delta variant, is that children's hospitals are filling up in COVID-19 hotspots around the country. And it's hard to find a community that doesn't have a COVID-19 hotspot. And we're also seeing that the virus seems to be finding the people that are not vaccinated and is really a a cause for concern for their safety and their health and people are ending up in the hospital. So I think that it's number one, important to be clear on what the risks and the dangers are currently. And then I think that one of, you know, the flip side of what we said is that organizations are trying to speed up the process. So by the time the vaccine is going to be authorized for our children and the younger children, it's gonna have gone through many, many rounds of trials. A lot of experts are gonna look at the data and really try to make sure that the dose is appropriate, that it's safe, and effective. So I think that by that time, we'll have a really good picture. So for those that are sort of hesitant and saying they want more information and more data, I would say, you know, when it's authorized, we probably have a good amount of the data that we need to make the decision to vaccinate our children. I keep thinking about what you said earlier about wanting to make sure that the vaccine trials were done right so that people can have that confidence that the vaccines really are safe when it's time to give them to kids. And you brought up the Delta variant and how it's affecting children. You know, we've talked obviously on this podcast before about COVID in kids, but then, you know, the Delta variant came along the summer and really seems to have changed the situation. How common is COVID among children now and how sick are they getting? Right. So, you know, as I said, we are seeing um, a steep rise in hospitalizations, again, because 
children are now predominantly the group that are not vaccinated. And the Delta variant really seems to be, it's more contagious and it seems to be making people more sick. So when you think about our children being now that more vulnerable group that doesn't have access to the vaccines, that's really the the place where a lot of the positivity rate is increasing. So, you know, we know that it was about 38,000 pediatric COVID cases reported in the the last week of July. The week after that, it jumped by 85% to over 70,000 cases. So we really are seeing a COVID variant with the Delta variant that does seem to be affecting our children more. And so vaccination really seems and masking really seem like the things that we need to do to keep them safe. There's another illness, RSV, which has also been on the rise among kids. What do you want parents to know about that particular condition? Yeah, so as a mother of a 15-month-old, so I have a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old, so I'm definitely following all of these, you know, vaccine trials closely, but also paying attention to the other viruses that are out there. So I have a 15 month old that's in daycare and RSV is another virus um, that is very common among children. And for most kids before they're two, almost all of them have been exposed at some point to RSV, which is respiratory syncytial virus. For most healthy kids, it's, it's like a cold, but some kids can get very sick. The younger you are, if you have other health problems, other lung problems, it can make you a lot sicker. But in general, it's also a virus of the nose, throat, and the lungs. And it was usually something that became more of a problem later in the fall and in the early spring months. But you know, one of the positive side effects of really trying to do physical distancing and mask wearing for COVID-19 was that we saw a lot fewer cases of RSV in 2020. But once, you know, over the summer, when we really started relaxing some of these safety measures, the rates of RSV, the cases started to shoot up over the spring um, and the summer of, of this year. So, you know, Kids are going to get colds and bugs just like any normal year, but COVID really makes every little sneeze or cough feel just so ominous uh, when you have a young kid. Is there any way to tell when your child needs to get a COVID test or if they just, you know, have one of the, the illnesses that they would get at, you know, in any ordinary time? Yeah, so this is a great question. And in some ways it matters and in some ways it doesn't. So so I'll explain. So like I mentioned, my youngest daughter is in daycare um, and she's had multiple viral infections um, since she went back a few months ago. Now, every time she gets a fever or a runny nose, we immediately start thinking, oh my gosh, does she have COVID? And that is certainly something that we should all be thinking about. It should always be on sort of our list of potential issues that could be going on. But COVID, RSV, uh, colds, flu, a lot of the time, they can have similar symptoms in the beginning. So you might see runny nose, you might see coughing, sneezing, um, and you might see fever. 
What's most important in all of those situations is, so my daughter just recently, we just recently experienced this is one, whenever you start noticing these things, keep them home. So, you know, you wanna keep, give them a chance to recover and you don't want to expose anyone else um, at the daycare or at the school or with whatever it is that they have. Then after that, you wanna keep an eye. So if we did, get COVID testing for our um, 15 month old when she developed the fever um, and the, the runny nose and, and the cough. And that test came back negative. So we felt comfortable once her fever went away that she could go back to her daycare after she had, you know, her symptoms had improved. Regardless of what the viral infection is, if your child is still having symptoms, so they're not getting better, and it's been about a week, or if the baby is younger than three months and they have a fever of 100.4, or any kid with a fever over 104, this is something you really wanna call your pediatrician about and, and talk. You don't necessarily always need to be tested for things like RSV or you know the common cold, but you just really may need additional help from your doctor. And what they can help you do is sort out. So COVID testing, um, certainly um, they can help you get that done for your child, um, but they can also help you figure out what you need to do. Do you need to come into the hospital? What are the symptoms? So it's not just, do they have a fever, but are they fussy? Are they not eating? Um, are they not sleeping well? Are they at risk of dehydration? All of these things can happen, not just with COVID, but with other infections as well. So you really want to talk to your doctor so that they can help you figure out what could be going on and then where you need to go for treatment. Of course, kids are starting in-person school or in some places in the country, they've been in school for a while at this point. What can parents do to make sure they stay healthy and protected? You know, masks we've talked about a couple of times are obviously very effective, but not every school has rules that kids have to wear a mask when they are there. So what are the things that parents can do on their own to make sure that their kids are going to be okay? Yeah, so this is certainly something that we're um, dealing with with our children. We're luckily in a school district where they do have a mask mandate, so everyone around them is masked. But what we're really trying to do is create this shield around the children. So until they can be vaccinated, what we are looking to do is making sure that anyone that comes in contact with them is someone that is vaccinated or wearing a mask um, at school. Um, we are also trying to make sure that they're up to date on their other vaccinations. So like you said, we really want to keep them healthy. So they are going to be more susceptible to getting sicker if they do get COVID, if they have another viral infection. So we're gonna make sure they get their flu shots on time. We're gonna make sure for the baby um, that she, you know she's up to date on her whooping cough vaccine um, and also her flu shot. Um, and then, we mentioned masking, we mentioned physical distancing in, in areas where there's a lot of people. And one of the things that you can do if you're pregnant or you have a baby that's still being breastfed is making sure that you get vaccinated with the COVID vaccine um, because there is evidence that you can pass along those antibodies to the baby. And then if you're able to breastfeed, that's another great way of passing some antibodies on to the baby. So. 
Though I normally would not continue to breastfeed at this point, at 15 months, I have been continuing to um, provide that protection for my 15-month-old. I had not thought about that in terms of the benefits of breastfeeding. That's really good to know for parents with uh, very young kids like you've got at home. That's great. A minute ago, you talked about RSV and how there were fewer cases of it last year, obviously, because children were much more isolated at home. So now that kids are going back to school, going back to daycare in person, it seems like we've been hearing a lot that cases of infectious diseases like these are likely to spike. And because of, you know, a child's immune system hasn't had the exposure to these kinds of bugs for about a year now. Do you think that's going to change, you know, how kids physically respond to these diseases? Will they be more severe uh, in addition to likely seeing just more cases of them this year? So that's a great question. And I think that, you know, one of the things that experts have kind of been talking about this issue is that the children have just such a strong and robust immune system. So the anticipation is that most healthy children will catch up pretty fast with the things that they haven't been exposed to. Um, So, but that's why, you know, they are anticipating that this might be a worse flu season. So really making sure that you and your children get the flu vaccine, that there's still a focus on hand hygiene. At this point with COVID-19, we know that surface contamination is probably not a big reason that people get COVID, but there it is a reason that people get other infections. So you really want to be sure that your kids are washing their hands, um, that they're being thoughtful about not you know, touching surfaces and then touching their mouths and their nodes and their eyes. But there is every anticipation that kids, if they didn't see it last year, will see it this year. Um, and that their immune systems will be able to catch up. Dr. Neha Pathak, thank you so much for all the great information today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope everyone has a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.